All right, good morning. Good to be with you all. Nice uh, winter season we're enjoying. I haven't been back in Vermont in the wintertime in over like 10 years, so I'm kind of enjoying it. I know everybody else is kind of like dragging on, but I'm enjoying the snow, so... Um, I wanted to start out uh, to just give, spend maybe like 10, 15 minutes just kind of giving an update on uh, what's been going on uh, with uh, different things we've been involved in kind of over the last year. And then we'll spend the last maybe uh, half an hour or so just looking at uh, 1 Corinthians. We've been studying through 1 Corinthians uh, with our church in Jordan. So there's a passage of scripture that... um, we studied recently and uh, kind of spoke to me in certain ways, so I thought I would just share that uh, this morning uh, with you all. But uh, for those of you who maybe uh, don't know us as well or uh, maybe haven't seen us before, we, we come back about every couple years and we try to always make it down here and, and to see you guys and it's always encouraging to be with you. But... Um, my wife and I, Melanie, we, uh, we have five kids, and we've been uh, serving overseas for, um, well, I guess we were married in 2005, 2004, and um, I moved overseas uh, 2000, I think, 01. So it's been a while since I've been overseas, but... Um, we had the, we've had the privilege of ministering in several different countries. Originally, we were in Ukraine. Uh, we planted a church there. That's actually where we met. My wife, uh, Melanie, she's American, but she grew up for a large portion of her life uh, in Ukraine. So I always uh, like to joke with her that she's more uh, Ukrainian than she is uh, American. Um, and then we, the Lord uh, started burdening our heart for Muslims, and uh, so we ended up moving to Kyrgyzstan, which is a, a Muslim, a majority Muslim country in Central Asia. So if you're familiar with Central Asia, it's kind of, we were a little bit north of Afghanistan and on the border of China there, and uh, we had the privilege of, of living there for about eight years. Uh, all of our kids were born there. Uh, my second oldest son, we uh, adopted from there as well. He's out um, listening on the, on the TV. And uh, we just enjoyed a very intense, very um, uh, fruitful time of ministry there. It was really, we feel very privileged uh, to have been there during that time. And uh, then the Lord called us to the Arab-speaking world, so... Now we have been in Jordan for about the last uh, eight years. Um, And to give you a little update on the last year, um, I wanted to share a little bit about uh, Ukraine. I mean, all of you know, right, a few days ago, it's been a a year since uh, Russia uh, kind of full-scale invaded Ukraine. Uh, Some of you might know that the war actually started in 2008, when Russia uh, invaded eastern Ukraine and then took the southern Crimea. Um, But a year ago is kind of when they just went full out, right? And they just invaded uh, all of Ukraine and started shooting missiles uh, everywhere, 
all throughout the country. And um, we're very connected with Ukraine. Uh, My wife, as I mentioned, she grew up most of her life in Ukraine. So she still has three brothers that pastor churches uh, in Ukraine. Her youngest brother is married to a Ukrainian. And we, uh, I mean, we have so many friends as well uh, that we've, uh, we see often. Uh, we, We go to Ukraine fairly frequently. Uh, just a couple months before the war started, I was actually in Ukraine and I was uh, part of a uh, pastor's conference uh, there. So I, it was uh, a lot of those guys I've known for a long time. A lot of them, I actually, I saw them get saved and grow up in the church and, uh, and become leaders and whatnot. So uh, very, very close, right? Very close ties. So that part of last year was it's been very uh, painful for for our family, uh, for our extended family. Uh, a lot of uh, you know very difficult things, friends that have been killed and and whatnot. Um, we so it must have been the I think it was the morning after Russia started shooting rockets into Ukraine and they. They came in from the east and the south and the north. Uh, my brother-in-law called me, and they were—they had spent the night in the basement of their apartment building, right, as the air raid sirens were going off and whatnot. And they got up the next morning, and they were driving. Uh, they live in western Ukraine, so at that time they were driving to Hungary to try to get to the border. And they were—I think they had—they um, had two families in their van. Uh, one of my other brother-in-laws, they, they were living in Kiev, the capital, and they had sent their kids, he had sent his kids and his wife to the west because as things were getting closer, you know, to February 25th, it was kind of becoming a little bit more clear what was going to happen. Uh, but he was reluctant to leave, right? Um, so anyways, my other brother-in-law, he was driving this van packed with all these small kids. He has six kids and his brother has six kids and their wives and they're just trying to get out of the country, you know, and he's um, pretty uh, pretty scared, you know, they don't know what's going to happen at this point, you know, you can't really, you weren't able to make it, you know, very far because of the long lines of traffic and even getting fuel was a problem because of all the the people that were fleeing, uh, it was kind of, it was very, very chaotic. So we decided to fly from Jordan to Hungary to, to meet them when they got to the border. Um, in 2014, our family evacuated kind of similar circumstances from Iraq when ISIS attacked the city that we were living in. And so we, we were, we kind of understood the panic and the fear and the terror that they were kind of experiencing and going through. So we wanted to be there uh, when they got to the border, you know. So we flew up there, and uh, as things kind of progressed, we, one of my brother-in-laws stayed in Ukraine with his family, and uh, so they, her, anyways, long story I went into Ukraine with a couple guys and we started to evacuate people because um, those first few weeks of the war were very, it was unclear. You know, most people were thinking that Russia was just going to like totally take the country. I mean, that's what everybody was expecting, which thankfully didn't happen. But, you know, as things went on, the Lord just um, 
really uh, kind of, I don't know, just opened different doors where we saw some different needs. And because I had lived in the country and knew a lot of people and knew the language and whatnot, there was just a need for for me to kind of stay. So I spent uh, almost a month, that first month of the war, and uh, helping people that wanted to leave, evacuate. We also started to bring some medicine in uh, for actually a lot of diabetics because the biggest insulin factory in Kiev was bombed by Russia, and so people were running out of, um, of insulin. And the Lord opened doors. It was actually... Uh, some several churches in Germany that we're connected with that they started uh, sending insulin and they were buying insulin and then people from the states were giving to that so we were able to to buy more insulin and we were bringing it in uh, that way so a lot of kind of you know neat stories of the Lord really providing and helping us you know get through uh, the border and even transporting. <laughs> Uh, different things and um, also you know miraculous early on uh, a lot of the people that we were connected with in the east they were you know getting cut off as the Russians were taking villages and occupying different areas and uh, there was a couple key guys Ukrainian guys they were elders in, in one of the churches in central Ukraine and they were just men of um, incredible courage, and they were, you know, driving into these occupied areas <clears throat> and uh, evacuating, you know, people we knew. And several times, their their vans were um, shot, and you know, missiles exploded next to their vans. And we we kind of like started this like funnel of like just vans where we would bring vans to them and they would just keep going back uh, and getting these people. And so it was, it was pretty miraculous, actually, to, if, with all that was going on and the thousands, at this point, hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians that have been killed. Uh, it's amazing to me, like, the believers and the people that we are closely connected to, there's just been a small handful of people that have, that have died and... Um, I don't know. It just we we saw the Lord's really miraculous protection on uh, even one of the families that was stuck. Very close family we've known for thirty years. Uh, they they were actually stuck in a village that was occupied by the Russians, and one of the Russian soldiers actually helped them escape the the village, and he led them through the the minefields uh, so that they could escape to the uh, Ukrainian side. Um, so I don't know I, uh, if you guys were praying during that time. I know many people were praying and it was, it was a very crazy time, but I, I want you to know that we saw some pretty significant uh, and miraculous answers to, to prayers in a lot of different ways. Um, so continue to pray for Ukraine. There's a lot of Still, you know, very, very difficult things going on. Uh, pray for the churches. The churches have been amazing. Uh, it's been amazing at how the churches in Ukraine have just been kind of these centers of refuge uh, where people can come. 
that are fleeing from places that have been taken and they stay there, you know, until they figure out what they're going to do, next steps, and the churches just take care of them and they feed them and they love them and the people join in in the kind of the church life. And, and we, do, we have seen many people coming to faith in Christ during this time as well. So, you know, in the midst of even this, this terrible war, God's kingdom is being advanced, you know, uh, within Ukraine. Uh, if you want to look at the other side, so we have a, another one of my sister's brothers. He lived in Russia for 10 years. He was serving in, in Siberia. And when the war broke out, we were encouraging him to leave. Uh, of course, he was reluctant, but he started getting a lot of calls, uh, people threatening their lives and whatnot. So they, long story, but also miraculous story, they were able to get out of Russia um, they actually had to fly through the Middle East because uh, no other flights were allowed at that time. But they ended up in, uh, they came to Poland for a while and they were really key because uh, he grew up in Ukraine helping uh, with some of the relief work. But they eventually ended up in Georgia with Jed, right? Jed and Renee, which you guys pray for. And they, so there's, over a million Russians that have fled Russia into Georgia. It might even be more than that at this point. It might be closer to two, I forget. Uh, and we were just there a couple months ago in Georgia, and the church there is like 90% Russian now, you know. And uh, so you have all this ministry happening, you know, to, to Russians. Uh, so... I, to me, you know, that's such a good picture of, of who the church is, right? Like, I mean, you have, you know, I obviously have very strong feelings because I'm personally connected to what's going on, but a, an evil, unjust war that's going on, right? I mean, I'm, it's just like, there's no way you can paint it. I've been actually shocked talking to some people here and some of the things that have been reported and supposed things and just the craziness. I mean, it is pure evil. I mean, I saw, you wouldn't believe the things that I saw in Ukraine of massacres. And it's wicked. But the church has to somehow go above that, right? And we have to see people. So even though I might not want to speak to a Russian, right? I have many Russian friends. I'm not, I, I spent time in Russia, I, precious believers. But when you see things like that, it, it does something to you. But the church, we have to be bigger than that, right? And I, that's what I love is that, you know, we go to Ukraine and you have people that are, they're ministering to people there and Ukrainians are coming into the kingdom of God and then you go to a country like Georgia or, or um, uh, Moldova, you know, and you have Russians coming into the, to the kingdom of God. You know, we can't, I, we call evil evil, but we, we can't like bar the gates to certain people, you know? And so I just want to encourage you that to continue to press in and to pray for these people that are, that are ministering in those areas um, because God's kingdom is being advanced. God's kingdom is being advanced. 
And people are coming into his kingdom, even in the midst of this. And, and there's much injustice, and there's much very, very hard things. Very hard things. And there's going to be a lot of <laughs> issues in the future, but uh, we do see the Lord uh, working. Um, so just to in- encourage you with that. So shifting from Ukraine, this update is turning into a little longer than 10 minutes, but... Um, we also, in this last year, have the doors have opened for us to begin ministering in Saudi Arabia. Um, so I'm not sure if any of you are familiar with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, but the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, I would say, is like a close second to like some place like North Korea as far as the gospel. It's been restricted. It's been a, a closed country to the gospel for decades uh, you know, it was kind of like one of those places where um, if you went there, first of all, you couldn't just go there to minister, right? You had to kind of have a reason, a job or, or whatnot. Uh, but you had to be very, very careful, right? Very careful. And it wasn't uh, super uncommon, you know, to, you know, be killed, in that kind of country for sharing your faith or be for becoming a follower of Jesus and and the restrictions were just like insane but in the last in the last 3 years the country has gone through this like radical modernization program okay which is being pushed by the the crown prince who is kind of a a crazy guy um in this last, last year, he executed more people than any other country in the world. Uh, and it's all for like political things, right? So he's trying to solidify his power. But, and this again is where we have to have a bigger perspective as the church. For some reason, he is completely removing all kinds of restriction, religious restrictions. And so the country is opening up to... Uh, for the gospel. And that's what we were shocked. When we went down there, we've been down there a couple times now, we couldn't believe the amount of openness uh, that there is to, to the gospel. So that's super exciting. You have a country that has been closed, I mean, locked down for, I don't know, centuries maybe? I don't know, maybe millennia? But it, a long time and now it's like just opening for the gospel. And so uh, I want to encourage you to, to pray for that. Um, we're really, we're, we, we're committing to traveling down there every couple months. It's about a two-hour flight from where we are, so it's not that far. And we're, we've made some contacts with some of the people that have been ministering there. There's not many people. <clears throat> and with a couple of the local believers, also hardly any uh, Officially, there are no, you know, Saudi believers. Uh, I've personally only met a couple. But they're, they're starting to come to faith in Christ. And so it's a very exciting time for, for Saudi Arabia. So pray for Saudi Arabia. Pray as we just kind of continue to uh, learn about the best ways of, of planning churches down there, gathering people. Uh, together, pray that laborers would go. <clears throat> There's very, very few people that are going there. 
it's a hard place. You know, I've talked about the openness of the gospel, but there's, there's still really challenging things about, about living there. So uh, pray for that. Also, recently, actually just last week, we took uh, our team from our church, went to Syria, which we've been praying about for a long time. Syria is still, as you know, it's 12 years into its civil war, lots of craziness. But you guys heard about the earthquake, right, that happened in Turkey, southern Turkey and, and uh, um, northern Syria. So it's, it's so difficult to get into Syria that most aid agencies aren't able to get in there. There's still all kinds of sanctions and all this red tape. Well, for us, you just drive across the border. So we felt like that's where we should kind of like focus. And so uh, a guy, one of the other elders from the church, he took a team up there last week, and uh, we're excited about (coughs) future ministry uh, in Syria. Uh, It's a very different like Saudi Arabia is very wealthy, very affluent. Uh, Syria is just a, a broken country. And he was just saying, as he was sharing with people, just their hopelessness, right? Has, it brings so much opportunity uh, to share. So pray about that. You know, we're not even, this is so new for us. We're trying to figure out how to be involved there. But we also want to be uh, going there uh, frequently. So then that brings us back to Jordan, right? Uh, Jordan, we've been there eight years. And so for us, if you don't know, our focus is uh, planting and establishing churches that we then transition to local leaders. uh, And then they continue the ministry and they go beyond anything that we could ever do just because they have so much more insight, right? And they they understand culture better. so that's always kind of our end goal. It's been a slow road in Jordan, to be honest. You know, it's a challenging place as well. It's not as bad as Saudi Arabia, but <clears throat> there's significant challenges that we face being a restricted country and whatnot. But we have a, a small church that uh, they're doing well. You know, They've, uh, they're growing. Uh, slowly, leaders are getting developed. But it, within this last year, we've had some opportunities to begin some church plants in other parts of the city. Uh, we live in a big city, about 4 million people. So we're trying to focus on uh, planting in other areas. Uh, so that's very exciting. Um, so I'm really thinking that our role is like, there's, um, there's six of us foreign uh, church planting team members. And I, th- I really see that our role is to kind of focus on planting these multiple churches and being involved in leadership and support and equipping. Uh, But pray for that because that's kind of a new thing. We're transitioning into that. Um, And just pray that these churches would get established, you know, and that they would have some some strong leaders. It's uh, there's a lot of risk, you know, for people that want to lead churches there. And so it, it, uh, it does take people that are, that are called. They know they're called and they also have to have that, that confidence, you know, in the Lord. <clears throat> and they have to have counted the cost because there's no guarantees. Uh, sometimes you lose your life. Uh, so pray for that. Lastly, family. Uh, that's why we're here this time. I'm here with my son, Timothy. He's out. Uh, he has autism, but he also has epilepsy. 
and he his seizures have become over the last four years uncontrolled by medication so we're back for about a month up at Dartmouth Hitchcock because I'm from White River Junction like uh, Pastor Dean was saying getting a bunch of tests actually tonight they just called me when we were saying they were supposed to go in tonight and uh, we're in the hospital for seven days doing inpatient uh, monitoring and tests and all that trying to figure out what the next step is for him so pray for him if you would pray because (coughs) because of his autism like being in the hospital and all the tests it can like cause meltdowns and stuff and it uh, they can be kind of (laughs) nasty So just being kind of a little bit, you know, uh, transparent with you guys, it's pretty challenging. So if you could just pray for him, you know, that the Lord would just give him some supernatural peace, you know, um, that he would sense the Lord's presence with him and that he would be able to just get through this next week uh, well. So there you have it. Um, And... Thank you. I know that you guys do pray for us. Uh, I really uh, appreciate that. And it it bears fruit, really. I mean, there's so many circumstances and so many things, you know, even from like the big things, even down to the little, you know, kind of like mundane daily stuff where we know that that people are praying for us and and we're thankful and we see the Lord's hand with us uh, in 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 a pretty challenging place so thank you for that and thank you for the ways that you guys have supported us for many years uh now so just wanted to say thank you for that uh so now let's just spend maybe i don't know 15 20 minutes looking at the first corinthians just because it's always good to spend some time in the word um but yeah the lord right man the lord is working in so many ways i think that's the thing that uh, like so I live in Jordan, right? And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I probably spend about 70% of the time that I'm there discouraged. <laughs> Just because ministry's slow. It, we work so hard and so long with people, you know, just so that they would believe in Jesus, you know, and then, and then some of them get to that point and it, they're like right there and they know the truth and they recognize, I have people that tell me, we know this is the right way, and they reject. They turn away because the cost is too high. So it's, it's discouraging. It really is discouraging at times. So it's good, right, to like sometimes just realize that God is working, right? And maybe it's not in big ways in our location, but he is working around the globe in, 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 many, in many ways. In, in many places. Um, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, I just want to like um, talk about kind of one theme that I see in the first 10 verses. <clears throat> and it's kind of how we express and experience the gospel. Now, the first couple chapters, one of the big themes that Paul is kind of like really banging on is this idea of God's way, right, and man's way. God's wisdom and man's wisdom, right? And and I like to say like life according to the gospel and life according to the world. 
And he mentions, you know, how the world kind of looks at God's, you know, way and it's like foolishness, right? The cross. I mean, the cross in so many ways for the, the uh, unregenerated person, it just seems so foolish, right? I mean, why would you, you know, identify with something like the cross? And so it seems foolish, uh, in a lot of ways. And he also mentions that they're like against each other, you know? There's not really, it's not, those two ways, they don't really run parallel, you know, where you can like have one foot in one way and one foot here and you just kind of like walk. They're like so against each other. They don't have anything in common. But, you know, the way of the gospel, it's so powerful, Right? And that's what Paul also mentions, is that there's great power in the way of the gospel. There's so much power in God's wisdom, which is seen in the cross. You know, the gospel brings forgiveness. You know, that, I don't know, I guess maybe like growing up and not being exposed to like, super difficult situations maybe i never realized how hard forgiveness can be sometimes you know but then you grow up right and you get to know people better and you have relationships and and then sometimes those relationships get like broken right or or things happen between people and and you get bitter and you get angry you get resentful then you maybe start understanding a little bit more about the world right and you see that man forgiveness is really hard. 70% of Jordan's population is Palestinian. And if you want to talk about a people that is suffering for lack of forgiveness, it's the Palestinians and, and the Jews, if you want to look at it both ways. So much bitterness, so much hatred, so much animosity. My kids, my kids go to school and it's like, everybody's Palestinian, you know? And like, they, like if they, they had like, they have different projects and whatnot. And like, they had to like, you know, do this project about Israel being like a terrorist state, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And like, you know, and of course they like failed the class because they didn't agree and whatnot. And all that. But like so much, it's like so deeply embedded, And the power, man, the power that is needed for someone to forgive. I mean, that's kind of a more like a national, right? A ethnic level. And even in our own lives, personally, right? I mean, sometimes things have happened in our life. And it's just like, there's no way I'm forgiving that person ever. Well, the way of the gospel, it gives us the power to forgive, you know? When we grow in understanding the cross, it gives us the power to forgive. You know, the way of the gospel, I believe, is the only true way that shows us how to remove shame in our life. Shame. Man, so much shame. I I see shame destroying people's lives all the time. You know, it can be shame because of things that you've done yourself, and you're just so ashamed you know, you've just done some something and it's so 
in the culture you're you're in maybe it's just so dark and it's so it's so you know yucky that like to even talk about it it's just too much maybe it's shame because of something that has been done to you right sometimes there's shame that people carry because of uh things that have happened to them and it might not even be their fault where how do we lift that shame that crushes us it's through the gospel there's so much power in the gospel to lift that shame uh you know this world in many ways is you know suffering from uh a lack of hope right i mean i feel like i don't know maybe it was like when covid started and all that stuff it just seems like since that time until now there's just been this like magnification of like hopelessness uh you know often you know we're kind of like i don't know if we're taught this or if it's just maybe part of the american culture that we always hope that things are going to get better you know like all it's funny i don't know if you guys watch different kinds of uh movies like foreign films or what not but like american films by and large always end well right like the hero wins the good people overcome a lot of other cultures if you watch their movies that it doesn't end that way cuz that's not a reality for them things don't ever get better and it's been like that way for centuries uh so you know we have to be careful you know we hope that things get better but maybe they won't get better uh sometimes they they will but sometimes they don't and maybe they won't so how do you have how do you have hope you know i think um i'm forgetting where i was reading this but you know they're saying that this current generation is is um like um they say that one of the uh the things that they're struggling with the most is anxiety and depression and there's just there's this like widespread like hopelessness that is like setting in it's like one of the the um the struggles that is kind of like predominant in the in the current kind of like uh generation and it's interesting you know like you know where do we where do we get hope from well i think it has to be you know from the from the from the gospel right the way of the gospel brings hope there's so much power that you know that gives hope you know we've seen i think in many ways and you know if we were to take time and look you know in history you know we've just seen that like countries and systems of governments and empires and what not they all they've all failed right every human system no matter what it is will fail and it has failed so our hope cannot be in what we think was you know i i find that to be really common in america is we think that you know we hope that things would go back to the way they were when really that that can't be our hope 
Our hope can never be in the past. As believers, as the church, our hope has to be what? In the future. Well, things are so bad and things are getting worse and they're so, it's hopeless and everything is so far gone. Well, I'm hoping in the kingdom that's coming. That's where my hope is. And as things, you know, maybe become more challenging and maybe there's a sense of hopelessness that increases, our sense of hope should increase. It really should as believers, as we're waiting for the coming kingdom. Uh, and it's, it's interesting, you know, that this, the gospel, it's, it's so big, right? It affects everything. You know, often we, we think so much, like, in our own personal lives about the gospel, and, right, it brings forgiveness. It can remove shame. Uh, it can bring freedom, you know, from dominion of maybe sinful habits or addictions. But the gospel is bigger than that, right? It's, it's a kingdom that's coming. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't really have, I'm not making any kind of like political, uh, you know, statements or anything. But, you know, when you look at like the earthquake we mentioned, right? recently in Turkey. It's like, I think almost 50,000 people have died now. Over 600,000 homes destroyed, right? So people that no longer have a place to live. And they're terrified. They're still, they're still having these aftershocks, right? Have you, have you been reading about those? People are so they, they can't even sleep. They can't even sleep in a building anymore because they're so terrified. So, you know, when you think about natural disasters, right? And I'm not even talking about, I'm not getting into the global warming or not warming. I'm not even talking about that. But there are things wrong with our environment, right? I mean, there are things that aren't working the way they should. Like, and so... If you think about that, like the hope for a world, right, that doesn't have natural disasters. Or, you know, in Jordan, you know, we, we, we're, like, we're running out of water. We live in the, a desert, and people are very concerned. Uh, you know, so like people, like, well, we, how are we going to live without water, you know? And it, so, but the, that's what I mean. Where's our hope? I mean, my hope is in a redeemed world, right? I mean, redeemed humanity, but also a redeemed world. I mean, that, that's part of the gospel. That's the message. That's how powerful the gospel is. It redeems humanity, but it's bringing redemption to the world, right? I mean, that's, that's exciting, I think. Uh, so the gospel is not just a message, right, of individual forgiveness, which it is. And that's something that we need to continue to preach and share. But it's much more than that, right? The gospel is, it speaks of a, a, a whole, um, what would we say, a complete redemption, right? And... Um, 
Yeah, so I'm excited about that. So really quickly, I want to read just the first three verses. So, right, we're talking about the difference, okay, of the way of the world, okay, and then the way of the gospel, right, that speaks of all of these things that we have just mentioned. And Paul says here, but I, brothers, reading from chapter 3, verse 1, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy, strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So here, you know, obviously Paul is talking to uh, believers there in Corinth. And he's kind of like reminding them of this, the, the, this, this contrast. Okay? And again, I would say he's kind, of, he's kind of mentioning, alluding to these two ways, right? The way of the world, human wisdom, and then man's, man's wisdom, right? The way of the gospel, and he's reminding him that there's this spiritual, right? And then there's this like fleshly or carnal, if we want to use a, the older world. And we know, if you're a believer, you would be familiar that when somebody believes in Jesus, there's this miracle that happens in our life where we're like born again, right? Jesus told Nicodemus. Or born from above, some of the translations say. There's like this spiritual heavenly rebirth that happens and we become like these spiritual beings and part of that is that we now have the the desire we have the power to what to live according to the gospel right to live according to god's wisdom and we also recognize that it's it's wise but and not according to the way of the flesh right or the way of man the way of the world. Uh, and, you know, I, to me, like Galatians, if you want to look up, to me, that it just sums that up, kind of this dynamic, right, of, of having this new spiritual life that we want to walk in by the power of the Spirit, walking in the way of the gospel. But then at the same time, there's this kind of like fleshly element, Right? And that, that's what Paul is kind of like talking about to these Corinthian believers. So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, very familiar verses, Paul again, he writes that, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, right? So they're against each other. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh for those oppose each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So we have the desire now. We actually want to do those things that God in his wisdom says are the things that, we, that are actually good for us, the things that are according to his original plan. But then we have the flesh, right? Which is against that. And it's kind of like they're warring against each other. And... That's where, you know, Paul's talking about, you know, the, the spiritual and the carnal. And he's encouraging us to grow in walking in the way of the gospel. Uh, and I believe that process here, right? This like 
like choosing to walk in the way of the gospel, wanting to be conformed more to God's way, less conformed to the world, transformed by his spirit. I think that that is what expresses uh, the gospel as we experience that, right? This whole like this process of transformation and that's what is it expressing the gospel and also it's giving us the experience of the gospel's power in our life. Uh, so if you look... Um, yeah, so what did I want to read? Oh, I wanted to read from later there, the works of the flesh, right? In Galatians chapter 5. So we saw what the fruit of the Spirit was, and then we have you know what's against that, the opposite of that, the way of the world, the way of the gospel, now the way of the world. And starting in verse 19, the works of the flesh, it says they're evident. The works of the flesh are evident. It's sexual immorality. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who do such things. So while um, every believer can, right, and should express and experience the gospel as they're transformed, as they see the fruits of the Spirit and they're putting off, rejecting these works of the flesh. Not every believer is walking in that, right? Like, there's a danger that they that they might not. So when Paul is talking to them and he says, you guys are still fleshly, right? He says, you guys are jealous, right? And why are you walking in these ways of the flesh? He's encouraging them to walk according to this new nature, the way of the gospel. And, I, and that's where I think, that's where kind of the rubber meets the road for you and I, okay? If we want to walk according to the gospel and we want to express the gospel and experience the gospel, there has to be this recognition. There has to be a recognition that this is the way of the gospel and this is the way of man. We have to recognize that. And are we going to perfectly, all the time, walk in the way of the gospel? Well, no. I think there'll be times where we act fleshly. Right? But that's part of the expression and the experience of the gospel. Okay? Is recognizing that this is the flesh. This is the way of man. This is the way of the world. And I'm, that's not me. I'm a new person. I reject that. I don't want that. Those are my old habits. I want to walk in the way of the gospel. And that's actually what allows us to express the gospel to one another. It allows us to experience the gospel. Right? I mean, I need forgiveness today, right? Just as much as I did when I first came to faith in Christ. 
I still do things that I'm ashamed of, just like I did when I was without Christ. You know, there's still times where I struggle with bitterness. So I need to experience the gospel today just as much as the first day I experienced the gospel. And my point is that I believe that you and I, we, we're the ones who we tell that to each other, right? That's the experience of the gospel. We walk through those things with one another. You know, it's always interesting to me that like sometimes people will leave a church because there's like problems in the church, right? Or there's, uh, you know, and obviously it can be a little bit difficult, but, you know, I'm just talking about like, let's say I, I don't know, uh, I met Steve, right? Just today. Let's say, you know, I'm just using you as an example, so forgive me, but, you know, let's say Steve comes in and I just like, I don't know, I had a bad day and I just, uh, I don't know. Something happened at work, and, and I just like say some really maybe harsh words to Steve, you know, like when I see him at church. And it offends Steve, you know. Like, Steve could totally say, dude, I'm not going back to that church. There's that guy Paul there, and he's like a jerk. Like, why would I go to church with a jerk like that, you know? Or, or Steve, being the spiritually mature Christian that he is, he would say, you know what, Paul, like, what's going on, man? Like, or maybe he lets me cool down and he gives me a call, you know, like Monday, Tuesday. He's like, hey, man, like, I saw you Sunday and it just seemed like you were like, something was going on. Like, what's going on? Is everything okay? And, you know, and maybe that opens the door for me to be like, you know what, I'm, I'm really struggling at work. Like, there's problems at work and I'm, I feel like I might lose my job. I don't know. You know, so, and that's, that's forgiveness, right? He's just extended forgiveness to me. How powerful is that? And, and what happens when, you know, the guy next to us who kind of like saw that happen, he sees that process taking place, right? He, what is he seeing? He's seeing the gospel. He's experiencing the gospel. Steve and I, we're expressing the gospel. He's experiencing the gospel. What happens when the unbeliever is visiting, you know? And he kind of sees some of that going on. He recognizes, wow, this isn't just like a, a polished up group of people and they don't have any problems and they all have it all together. But wow, they actually struggle and they got problems. And sometimes they get mad at each other. And wow, these are like real people. But wait a second, they don't do like the world does. Like they actually spend time and they try to reconcile and forgive and love and, right? The expression and the experience of the gospel. And this is, you know, the one thing you can write down if you have a pen or save it on your phone. The church, the church, you and me, we are the expression and the experience of the gospel. That's the church. That's the church. And that's why, for me, I think one of the most powerful things that we can do for unbelievers is to get them into church, into community with us, so that they can see and experience the gospel. What's the most powerful thing in my life 
being in the community of believers, as a believer, being committed, a consistent part of the life of the church. Because I need the experience of the gospel every day. Man, I need the experience of the gospel. I need the gospel to be expressed before me so I can see it, so I can understand it, so I can grow in it. So, you know, there's a lot of other things that I could mention here, but, uh, you know, one of the other kinds of ways of man that we see mentioned here, the way of the world, is when Paul says that uh, there's those divisions, remember, he's talking about? It's kind of a big theme throughout Corinthians. And, and people say, well, I'm, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos. And earlier in, in chapter 1, uh, he was saying um, uh, Peter as well, right? Cephas and, well, I follow Christ and, and all these things. And, you know, I was thinking about that. And, you know, there's a lot of different, like, ways you could go with, with, with those things or applications. But I was just thinking about how those different guys maybe, like, represent a certain group of people, you know. So, like, Paul, I mean, I would say, and maybe you disagree with me, but I would say Paul, he kind of represents the more kind of, like, religious kind of fanatic kind of guy. Like, he's the, he's the uh, uh, spirit-filled like on fire, in your face, like sometimes annoying believer, you know? And it's like, dude, I'm not really comfortable with that kind of believer. Like you're just a little too much. Like you just got to tone it down. And, you know, so that's Paul. But then you have Apollos. And Apollos to me kind of strikes me as that like intellectual, kind of like he's that Greek, like super gifted orator, you know? So he's maybe like the, uh, you know, the, the intellectual, educated, um, kind of like got that elite kind of feeling, you know, believer where he has like, he reads all the theology and he's got all the different like, uh, well, these are the kind of the different ideas about creation and different theories about maybe how that happened. And well, you know, we got to look at, you know, these different, you know, he's that kind of like, he's the, like the, the, um, the, the intellectual, maybe, you know, for the fanatic, he's like, dude, you're just too intellectual. You got to stop thinking about it and you just got to believe it and do it, you know? And then you have Cephas. I'm trying to figure out, like, Peter, you know, maybe who he represents. Maybe he represents the kind of, like, people I come from, like the, uh, the Vermonter redneck type, you know. He's like the, the fisherman, you know. And he just like, oh, I don't care about all you guys. I'm just going to go fishing, you know. Uh, and, man, like... So often we get in our like little groups, right? Like we have people that we get along with, you know, like the rednecks. Like we want to talk about the guns that we like and the the fishing gear and, you know, uh, I don't know what we like to talk about. Uh, And then the intellectuals, they want to have their theological arguments and discuss all that and uh, and then you have the fanatics that are like, dude, why aren't you out preaching on the street every day? You know, what's... uh, But... And then, like, so how do we, Paul is saying, like, why are we getting in these different groups, 
you know? Like, don't you like to be, something about human nature, we like to be in those environments and those contexts and those groups where we're comfortable, right? Like, I don't really like the guy that makes me uncomfortable. Like, I don't really want to talk to him. I want to talk to, you know, the guy that's like me. He thinks like me. We have similar opinions about life. But you know what? I think the church and the gospel has to be all of that. It has to be bigger than that. You know, I've learned more about the gospel talking to believers who love Jesus, and they're a lot different than me, you know? They're much different than me. Maybe they're the fanatical Paul type. Maybe they're the intellectual Apollos type. Maybe they're the backwoods, redneck Peter type. I have a good friend, he's dead now, but um, an old guy. He grew up in Indiana, small town, and he you know, never left that small town. Uh, he never learned how to read. He barely learned how to read when he got saved in his 40s, and he wanted to read the Bible, so he kind of like taught himself how to read a little bit. But just very, very simple guy, right? I mean, just like... Uh, didn't know a lot about like the world as far as like traveling or different cultures or whatnot. But I learned so much from this guy about the Lord. He just loved the Lord. He loved God's word, you know? And I learned so much from him. But then there, you know, other guys that were much different than him, much different. And I learned so much about the Lord from those types of guys. That's what we have to be, like the church, right? I mean, it's so good for us to rub shoulders and be in community with people that we're committed to Jesus. It's not that we're, you know, we're following Jesus. But maybe we have some different opinions about non-essential things about life. Well, maybe it's good for us to, to look at things from a different angle, to understand how that person views life, lives life. I bet we'll learn something about Jesus and the gospel as we're, as we're together. But it's messy. It's messy. You know, our church in Jordan is a little bit different in that we have a lot of different kinds of people. Like, the problem in Jordan, unfortunately, is that people are super tribal, okay? And what that means is that you just don't, you don't have community with people outside your tribe. You don't. Uh, and the other problem, and this is a problem within the churches, is Christians, okay, so 3% of Jordan is Christian, meaning they were born Christian. In, in Jordan, you can either be a Christian or you can be a Muslim, okay? And you don't get to choose. It's whatever your grandparents were. So the problem in the church is like the we call them background Christians, whether or not they know Jesus, you know, that's not the point. They were born a Christian. <laughs> they don't like Muslims, right? Even if a Muslim wants to follow Jesus and proclaims faith in Christ, they don't receive them. They don't trust them. It's a big problem. It's, it drives me nuts. Uh, and then there's the tribalism, you know? So then the, the Christians or the Muslims, even though they kind of get saved and they're kind of from the same group 
they might not get along with each other. Because <laughs> you're not a, you know, whatever, a Hadad or a Halasa or whatever. It's like, what? Like, we're the people of God. You know, so there's all these problems. And then I look at Corinth, man, and I just think, man, that place was also struggling. I mean, they had all these divisions, but then they had all this different kinds of sexual immorality in the church, right? And people are like suing each other and taking each other to the courts. And, and some people are saying women can't speak in church and it's okay to like speak in tongues all the time. And, you know, all these different things. Like it seems very messy, But what I'm trying to point out is I think even in the midst of that, right, that mess, if you're committed to the way of the gospel, that's where the experience and the expression comes from. You know what I'm saying? So even in the midst of the mess, that's where we experience Jesus. My niece, not long ago, we were talking and she's, older she just graduated from college and she's kind of like trying to figure out if she wants to follow Jesus and whatnot and just whatever and we're talking and and I forget why I don't know if I asked her or if she was just mentioning and she says you know like I know what people go to church they go to church so that they can become better people okay that was kind of like her she's grown up in the church and all this kind of stuff but that was her like thing she's like people go to church to become better people and I said, oh, I don't really agree with that. I don't think that's why we should go to church, to become a better person. I think we should go to church to experience, right, God or experience Jesus, experience the gospel, right? And to be in community with people that are committed to the gospel. And is becoming better maybe a, a result or a fruit yeah, maybe. I mean, depending on what your idea of better is. But I don't think that that's not the reason, right? I mean, I hope that. I mean, we should be coming here. We should be gathering together consistently to experience the gospel. That should be, that should be it. To experience Jesus, right? To grow. And that's, we're not going to get into it. But I think that's kind of what Paul starts into about this idea of, of watering and planting, right, in each other's lives. It includes unbelievers. I think it includes believers. Uh, We plant into each other's lives. We water into each other's lives. And hopefully, you know, it's the gospel. And then God, he brings brings increase. But yeah, it's just, man, I think that this, that the messiness of like the flesh, rejecting the flesh, Right? But it's still there and learning to walk in the way of the gospel. That's, that's what it expresses to people. It, it, it's what helps us experience the gospel. Uh, one last thing. I know I've gone really way over time. but um, We had these, kind of for us, baptisms are like a huge deal because it's kind of like a... Um, it's one of the decisions in our context where it's, it's like super meaningful, okay? Um, uh, and mo- a lot of people won't do it even though they, they're believing because they're afraid, right? Because it, it really identifies them with Jesus. So when we do have baptisms, it's, it's, it's a really 
kind of like, it's a big deal. We love it. Well, this last time we did it, there was like five people that wanted to get baptized. <clears throat> and they wanted to go, because we're in Jordan, they wanted to go down where? To the Jordan River, right? They're like, we have to get baptized where Jesus was baptized. And I said, well, we don't know where Jesus was baptized exactly. So it's <laughs> so like, well, we know. But, you know, it's cool. I, didn't, I wasn't trying to discourage him, but I knew what it meant. Because in Jordan, the Jordan military guards the Jordan River. And when we go down there, I'm supposed to submit a list of names to them who wants to get baptized and whatnot so they can tell. Because depending on the person's name, their last name, you know if they're Muslim or Christian. You know, so it's kind of like, what are we going to do, whatnot? And I don't want to discourage these guys. This is like a huge thing of faith. And they know, they know. I don't have to tell them the problem, you know. It's just, anyways. So we all go down as a church. And there's probably about, you know, half the church kind of understands what's going on, the situation. Half doesn't. We got a handful of unbelievers with us who they have no idea what's going on, but they just think it's great. They love us and, and whatnot. And these, you know, these people, they're just like, they're such new believers. They don't know anything, but they want to follow Jesus, you know, and, and they've decided. They've made the commitment. <laughs> and like almost everybody in Jordan, nobody knows how to swim, okay, because it's a desert. Like, has anybody ever gone to the Dead Sea? Like, do you know anything about the Dead Sea? The salt, right, content of the Dead Sea is so high that, like, it doesn't matter how big you are, how heavy you are. You know, I weigh 105 kilos, like, 230 pounds. Like, I can't sink. Like, if I tried, I can't. Like, it's, like, so buoyant. Well, every year, Jordanians drowned in the Dead Sea believe it or not. Like, that's how, it sounds bad, but that's, like, how bad it is. Like, they are terrified of water. Uh, so, you know, when we go into, like, the Jordan, and they're getting all the way in the water, and you go to, like, put them under the water, it's kind of scary for them. And not only that, it's cold. You know, we live in a desert. They don't like cold. They like warm and whatnot. <laughs> so this lady... I hope I don't offend anybody, uh, but such a sweet lady. I mean, she's kind of like started a little bit of a revival in our church. It's really cool. But we're there, and I'm there with her husband, and we're praying for her, and we put her down, and right when she comes out, she just shouts this profanity <laughs> because it's so cold. <laughs> it's not like, praise Jesus or amen. It's like this... You know, and, you know, some of the people are just like, eyes are wide, like the church people, you know, are just like, what is going on? This is not supposed to be happening. The other half, they're just singing and praising the Lord. They don't even notice, you know, and I'm just laughing, you know, and it's just like, it's a little bit weird, you know, a little bit messy. Like, that's like, that's like the, the least of our problems, you know, but, you know, I was just watching these unbelievers that were there, you know, and, and they were just like kind of watching all of what's going on. And after that, we went, somebody in our church, they have a little house down there by the Dead Sea, and we just went and we just ate 
food together and just hanging out and praying, praying for the people that got baptized and, and singing. And I just like, this is it, right? This is the experience and the expression of the gospel. And there's, the flesh is still there a little bit, you know? And it's a problem and it causes problems, but the gospel is what helps us navigate those things. It, what, it brings forgiveness. It brings grace, right? So, so the, we don't say to that lady, you know, like, what the heck's the matter with you? You're a Christian now. Why are you? Like, no, there's grace for her. She's going to grow, you know? So, yeah, the expression and the experience of the gospel, it's the church. It's you and me. We got to, that's how the world is going to know the gospel. That's how you're going to know the gospel. That's how you're going to know the gospel is through the church. So, Lord, we thank you. Man, we're thankful for Jesus, who really, he's the embodiment of the gospel, Lord, and he's the one who came and he, he spoke the message, Lord, and we continue that message, but he also lived. He lived here with us and he showed us. He showed us what that life is, life according to your way, your wisdom, Lord, not the world's way. And we now, I don't, hard for me to understand sometimes, but you've told us that we're the body of Christ now. And we're here in this world. Lord, just, I pray for each person here. I pray that as they press into you, Lord, as they grow, as they rub shoulders with believers around them, as they choose, Lord, to put the flesh off and they choose to forgive the person that offends them. Lord, as they, as they choose to look to your future coming kingdom and reject, Lord, the, the, the thoughts that human systems can bring any solution. Lord, that we would experience, yeah, your gospel and express it, express it to each other and to the world. So Lord, just bless this church. Lord, thankful for them, thankful for their witness, Lord, and for each person, Lord, whatever, wherever place of work, their families, their relatives, whatever circles, Lord, they're involved in. Lord, I pray that you would just Lord, shine through them. The gospel would be seen in their lives. Yeah. So, Lord, just continue to use, Lord, your church right here, Lord, in Manchester and, Lord, many others to just shine the gospel. So we're thankful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.